Hi, and welcome to the Food Navigator podcast, your deep dive into the trends shaping the food and beverage space. I'm Food Navigator journalist Ollie Morrison. Here's some jolly music to illustrate this episode's topic the humble banana. We have so many types of apples, pears. Why don't we have the same for banana? We could because they exist. First, some interesting facts. It's the world's most exported fruit and the third most consumed, beaten only by apples and tomatoes, which on the basis that you'll never find these in a fruit salad surely aren't fruit. For many of us, bananas were one of the first solid foods we ate. More songs, would you believe, have been written about bananas than any other fruit. Will the songsmiths of the future continue to be inspired by this elongated yellow berry? You see, bananas have problems. And I'm not talking about a soggy bottom on your banana bread. First, they are the cause of much human suffering. The so-called supermarket price wars in Europe have driven down the cost of bananas. You can find them for as little as 15 pence here in the UK. That's to the detriment of the workers, suppliers, communities and environment where they are produced. A stark reminder, say many, of the imbalance of power in the global food chain, with us insatiable consumers in the north exploiting producers in the south. In practice, that is both unacceptable and unsustainable. Then there's the virus. Bananas are under threat from a new strain of Panama disease called TR4, the banana equivalent of COVID, if you like, but without the hope of vaccines. We've been here before. The first strain of Panama disease, TR1, wiped out completely the Gros Michel banana variety back in the 1950s. Since the 1990s, the new strain of the disease has spread to over 20 countries, from Asia to Australia, the Middle East, Africa, and more recently, Latin America. That's significant because this is where the vast majority of the Cavendish variety of bananas are produced. Globally, the Cavendish banana accounts for nearly 50% of global production and is the one we tend to see on our supermarket shelves here in Europe. TR4, therefore, threatens to destroy, just like it did the Gros Michel, the Cavendish. So, are bananas doomed? Here's one Jose Pons, coordinator of the Ecuadorian Banana Cluster, an organisation which has long been negotiating for fairer prices for its members to ensure the sustainability of the industry. What are the challenges for producers on the ground? Bananas has become and considered in many markets a, what is called a social product. It's a product that provides to the consumer a good nutrition, self-packaged product that is highly nutritionist and that is fulfilling for the satisfaction of the consumer at a very low price. And this has created a an imaginary concept that bananas is a cheap product and that behind the production of bananas and behind that banana that is being eaten in the markets, there is not much expenses going on 
going on. While in the reality, you have a very highly expensive and efficient and technical value chain involved in the production, transportation, ripening, and distribution of bananas. Because at the end of the day, what you have is a perishable product that has to be harvested every week, carried every week, ripened every week, sold every week. You have a, it has a one week window of perishability. And this is a major concept that affects and, and makes a very demanding product on the sophistication of the refrigeration distribution services, which are all money wise also. At the same time, you have a whole process of production uh, issues that are related to the sustainability concepts, which involve higher investment, the, the protection of the human rights, the protection of labor, the protection of the nature, of, of ecological um, issues. This is extremely important, and, but it's all cost. You, you, you have an axiom in, in, in the whole, let's say, sociological world. Any social issue has to have an economic base, has an economic cost. And this is a very clear concept that has to be understood by the consumer and by the interpreter of those consumer needs, which is the retailer. The retailer has assumed the representation of the consumer. I ask him, if consumers keep paying, say, 15 pence for a banana, where does this race to the bottom on price end? It ends in the direct impact on the small producer, on the small banana producer all over the world, all over the world, that does not have the economic muscle to deal with this economy of scale that has to deal with the incredible cost that is being demanded, requested, demanded, whatever you want to call it, to be made, but at the same time, is not recognized in the price that has to be paid. You have, a, you have a double standard. The price of bananas in the European Union for the last 10 years has been on a downward trend. And at the same time, you have organizations such as Aldi, who that are a price reference or a trading reference for the, for the industry in all products, but particularly in bananas, that makes constant, let's say, public announcements about these policies that become a reference to the other purchasers, to the other buyers. And, and this, this creates a whole atmosphere of, to put it simply, trying to buy a Rolls Royce for the price of a Chinese car. And this is what creates an enormous conflict with the whole value chain of the banana production. It's an ongoing double standards. I'm sorry to say that. We have had meetings with most of the retail chain together with the purchasing department and the social responsibility department. But when it comes to, when you have to put your money where your mouth is, when you come to signing the contract, the negotiating process is put the price down. Why? Because they use the banana as an attraction for the supermarket. That supermarket that sells your banana at 15 pence, okay, attracts you into that supermarket to buy a low product, very satisfying product, so that at the same time you buy every other product with a higher margin. 
but the burden of that marketing device, merchandising device, is carried by the banana producer. However, at the same time, you have a full initiative on which we agree on sustainability. We are invested, we are investing billions of dollars in the industry worldwide in sustainability. And sustainability means the whole concept of sustainability, ecology, salaries, human rights, etc. And that is not being reciprocated on the consumer end. At the same time, you have economical factors that are being incredibly negative on the economic value chain. And these are realities that the retailer is, is not accepting. So we're trying to buy a Rolls Royce for the price of a Chinese car. That hurts the farmers. It hurts ecology too. It hurts ecology because you cannot afford what is being demanded. You cannot afford to do everything that has to be done to protect the ecology if you keep squeezing the prices down. Because to protect ecology demands investment. To protect ecology demands very efficient, very effective uh, technological systems to control the use of water, to control the use of pesticides, to protect the forest, to protect the animals, etc. And all that is investment. For instance, the European Union has a policy on LMRs, the maximum residue limits. That policy becomes so demanding that you cannot use any pesticides in a tropical environment. Therefore, your productivity comes down. But at the same time, the consumer wants a perfect banana, almost a third dimension banana. <laughs> Beautifully yellow, no scars, no signs of anything. How can you do that without the help of your technical products? Mm. So, so this is the kind of contrast where the, the, the the mentality of saving the world is not coherent, is not consistent with the investment that has to be made to save the world. The refusal among retailers to accept higher costs in value chains is a problem identified by certification organisation Fair Trade. This works to get better prices, safe working conditions and fair terms of trade for farmers and workers. Here's Anna Paredes, Betray's senior supply chain and program manager. I think uh, the the lower prices on the retail end really misrepresent um, the hard work and um, the higher costs increasingly that the producers are facing to um, to to give us uh, our uh, you know daily, weekly fix of, of bananas in the UK and elsewhere. What's the what's the latest in the supermarket price war then? Why has this happened? What effect has it had in the various parts of the banana supply chain? The latest is that you know the prices still remain uh, low and do not represent um, you know what is what is needed within the banana supply chain to to bring the bananas to shelf. Um, I think you know especially in light of uh, the COVID pandemic, um, you know we're seeing. Uh, much higher prices uh, and much higher costs um, at the producer end to to bring the bananas to market. Um, to list a few for you, um, you know there are increasing uh, sea freight costs, uh, packaging costs have have really shot up. Um, there's a pandemic, of course, which has created a lot of additional costs and frustrations. 
Um, and undoubtedly, of course, there is climate change, which has been a big uh, negative effect and has a big negative effect on banana producers and has done for many years. Um, and so, you know, all of these additional costs make you want question how uh, is it possible for bananas at the retail end to sell at this much lower price? Um, I should add here, it's a very important point, of course, about fair trade and why, uh, you know, I would call out to anyone to choose fair trade bananas is that by having fair trade certification, there are safety nets there in place to help producers, to help banana producers mitigate against all these uh, challenges that I'm talking to you about. A lot of them are economic, but of course, other social and environmental challenges that they're facing. It's something that will affect all businesses who are dealing with bananas. So um, it really is the responsibility of everyone in the supply chain to make sure that we are doing the right thing for producers, for farmers, for workers in the banana industry, um, but also trying to create, you know, actually sustainable um, banana supply chains to, to know that, you know, there is a future for banana farming and there's a future for, for banana supply if, if indeed that's what we want, you know, to see in our fruit bowls. Another organisation working for fair and sustainable banana trade is UK-based Banana Link. Paul Levens, its policy and communications coordinator, complains that producers aren't adequately protected against the imbalance in bargaining power that the supermarkets benefit from simply because of the scale at which they're buying means that they've got greater power to dictate terms. He thinks solutions are a combination of market intervention and consumer education. Some form of market intervention... um... Uh, could could help to address it and there are different ways of potentially doing that um one for example would be something like an eu-wide equivalent of the uk's grocery code adjudicator um which provides some redress to producers um in response to kind of exploitative practices by by by, by buyers um another one possibly would be a prohibition on selling below cost price some individual EU countries do have um, domestic prohibitions on selling below cost price, but I, I, I think they're not terribly effective just because of the way they're kind of drawn up, sort of leaves various sort of holes around them and what have you. But that, you know, is potentially another way of, of addressing it. Um, but then there are, yeah, like you say, other factors. Ultimately, consumers need to understand that they need to pay more, or bananas need to cost more if, 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 if um, you know, the workers and the producers are going to get a, a, a fair return. So, uh, you know, arguably there's also a role for kind of consumer education, um, for promoting more ethical buying practices, you know, encouraging consumers to buy fair trade bananas, for, for example. You know, that's another kind of factor. But it's that sort of thing that um, I think it's a combination of factors. Certainly what, I mean, to quote a, a blog I wrote on this last year, I think, um, is that, you know, yeah, I mean, the supermarkets are the villains of the piece. Um, and yes, arguably, the supermarkets could take more responsibility um, and could look at, um, you know, paying prices which would better enable producers to kind of meet the challenges they do. But, you know, they're in a sense kind of trapped by the market. Um uh, 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 and simply, how, how are they how are they trapped on the market? Well, sorry, I mean they're trapped 
by the framework, the way the market works, that um, that if if you look at it, producers as being a capitalist organ, a capitalist corporation that has to kind of reduce, minimise its costs and and, and 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 maximise profits, then they are obviously um, you know duty bound to try and negotiate the lowest price they possibly can. Mm. Um, if you look at it in a sort of pure market economy kind of terms. So I think the point is that, yes, the supermarkets can and that they have shown some willingness to appreciate that it's more than a a zero-sum or bottom-line game kind of thing. But simply relying... I don't think a a permanent solution could be found simply by relying upon the the, the kind of good nature of the supermarkets, if you like. Of course, the need to pay more for our bananas is even more pressing with the TR4 disease. Dealing with this requires further investments. Back to Juan from the Ecuadorian banana cluster. You're dealing with a plague for the bananas that is worse than COVID for the humans. For the COVID, you have the vaccine. For the Fusarium, you have no vaccine. All you have is investment in prevention and investment in dealing with that, uh, with that play. You know how much that investment is? In Australia, it goes up to $5,000 American dollars per hectare. In Ecuador, it can go up from $2,000 to $4,000 per hectare of investment. Paul Levens adds that the TR4 disease further exposes the folly of monocropping, which is stimming the development of new disease-resistant varieties. The biggest sort of overriding um, challenge, if you like, um, is pricing, and that without fair pricing, um, producers are struggling to be able to you know, afford to invest to meet the challenges they, that, that, that they need to. Um, and, and, and I think, and you alluded to it in your questions in your email, that there's a, a kind of recognition within the, the, the export sector that the current kind of chemically reliant in uh, mono, monoculture production is not sustainable in the long term. Um, and that, I mean, TR4 makes that kind of, um, if you like, the TR4 disease has, has brought it into focus. Essentially, the, the, the sector recognises that more sustainable production systems need to be developed. Um but then that's where, I mean, in a sense, what we see that coming down to as a debate is a, a choice between sort of more agroecological production systems or genetically modified or GMO, GM production. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's probably fair to say that most of the big producer companies are kind of keeping options open at the moment and exploring and dipping toes into both of those kind of possible alternative Um, futures, if you like. Someone definitely dipping their toes into exploring alternative futures for bananas is Nicholas Rue, the enthusiastic senior scientist and banana programme leader at Bioversity International in France, which is looking into exploiting wild banana varieties, possibly via new unconventional techniques such as genetic transformation, in order to find a solution to the so-called banana pandemic. The main issue why they are in threat is because more and more banana are being cultivated as monocrops. And, you know, uh, and, and very often so, if you take the example of Cavendish, which, by the way, represents 
50% now of the world production is Cavendish and it's growing, it's growing more and more. People, even uh, for local market, because yeah, you, you have to know that the export market represents only 15% of all the bananas. When I say bananas, I mean all types of banana. I include there the plantains, you know, the one, the, the cooking okay. banana that you yeah, yeah. Yeah. But 50% are Cavendish, which, yes. uh, so that means that local market are also going into uh, this type of banana. A uh, country like uh, India, the biggest producer of the world is India, which has also the highest diversity. They also have companies uh, working on tissue culture because that was my field, so I know. And uh, they are all pushing, pushing, because the, the easiest banana to propagate is also Cavendish. So, uh, and because they're sure to have market there, so they are replacing all their local varieties by this Cavendish, which is, of course, a disaster because uh, it's uh, not keeping the diversity. So our role is really to push for diversifying the, the production of bananas. And we cannot depend only on one clone like we do now. It's a, so okay. disease comes, and, and that's why mm. it's a trait if we continue monoculture. So now is the moment that we have to... Uh, to really be careful and uh, on, on what we do, yeah. And yeah. you know that in the past we were in the same situation. So 50 years ago, the most common variety was called Gros Michel. That's right. Yeah. yeah and Gros Michel uh, was well, harder banana. If you look the old films, you see that they put the bunch directly on the uh, on the boat without any boxes. The box came because of Cavendish, which was more, you know, the 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 how do you call it? the skin was much more uh, thinner so they had to have those box and to avoid to have those uh, you know the people want banana completely yellow not a single spot and, and and so on so they have been investing so much onto this and i think that goes with one of the questions you were asking me after why uh, they're not uh, going to change so the industry when they, they had to change from gros michel to to um, cavendish, to cavendish yeah was pretty much against only one. I think it was standard fruit at that time. Uh, so uh, that really took the risk. And then the other ones had to follow. So in 10 years, Gros Michel just finished, replaced completely by Cavendish. And now, of course, Cavendish is even more important than was uh, Gros Michel before. And so 50 years after, we're in the same state. So it was already a fusarium that got rid of it, but it was a different race. It was race one. This one is tropical race four. And uh, often people make mistake. They think that Tropical race four is a mutant of race one. Talking with phytopathologists, I'm not an expert, but talking with them, they told me, no, those are really two different strains. We cannot say that one mutated because of the other. Even uh, that was thought at the beginning, but it isn't. Yeah. And so, yes, we, we um, to tell you, the work we do is really to try to diversify, to know the different, in which country. So this, the advantage of this Muzanet network is that we have representative in all the region, in all countries, we have a banana, and there are 140 banana growing countries about. And in each one of them, we have a specialist. So we have a representative, uh, sorry, 120, not 140. Um, and in each one of them, we uh, uh, try to see what are the most important varieties because they have in the market already different types of banana, but mm. we don't find them here in our share. We'll see only one. But there are, you know, that there are thousands because you, you mentioned, but what we want is in the market, really being sold in the market, because if they put in the market, that means they like it for a specific taste. And we should start from those banana and breed those banana first, yeah. Doing this, he says, may provide consumers with exciting new tastes and eating experiences. If you look at the evolution of banana, the banana, at the, I'm talking uh, seven to 8,000 years ago, 
we had banana which were not eaten. They were wild with seeds. And only the leaf were used to put uh, as a shade because of those big leaves. And then something happened. There was an accident. Uh, so mutation happened that men select. So we had plants with, without any seeds. And it's men who start selecting for that type of banana. And instead of crossing, they, uh, they got suckers, you know, banana suckers. So that they are what we call vegetative propagate crops. The advantage is that you keep all the time the same. But when you do this over thousands of years, you get what we call mutations. And this is normal. Like us, we are not like the, the prehistoric uh, man. Yeah. That's, that's mutation that happens. It's, uh, people are afraid about mutation, but it's, it, it's logical that it happens. That's what makes evolution. Yeah? And um, so the same for banana. And so that's so we had civil land races. And uh, different that they, and we are working on this now that we sequence the banana genome, we can understand how the piece of chromosome have uh, evolved through crossing, because there was still some crossing uh, with the, diplo uh, so I, if I talk about diploid, triploids, maybe it will not sound to you, but you know, it's diploid is two set of chromosome. We are diploids because we have one set from our mother and one from our father, but the banana they have, well, most of the edible banana, not all, but not most of them are triploids. And this is all the difficulty to cross diploids with seeds and to obtain at the end a product that is without seeds. How many new varieties might we see on supermarket shelves in Europe? So right now we talk about 1,000, but not all thousands are on the market. I don't think so. We are right now trying to make it this inventory. It's not easy, but I say we can say several hundreds, yeah. yeah uh, I'm not afraid. If we take about from Asia, but of course the all um, Pacific uh asia uh, africa and including the plantains of course the huge quantity of plantain and uh, we can go close to to 1000 even yeah again a very a very basic question what are they what do they taste like compared to the cavendish oh very different taste very 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 different so i don't know if you have been traveling uh, especially yeah. the little uh, banana uh, i've tried the, i've tried the little ones in yeah, australia, very in australia. Sweet, you know, yeah, very yeah, sweet. yeah 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 very yeah. sweet uh, people like them very much uh but then you have uh, some that are more sour, uh, some that you have to cook, huh? you cannot uh, eat them raw. Uh, some, so in the Pacific, we have some with very high vitamin A content. They are completely orange. And so we're trying also yeah. to promote this, especially for countries where they have problem of, uh, you know, because of vision of uh, poor vitamin A. Um, so doors, uh, you have more vitamin A than... You have 50 times more vitamin A than the normal Cavendish there. So uh, they are really very good. Uh, in, the bananas, in, in, in the red those bananas. Those are bay bananas. Those are really specific from the Pacific. Mm. We, we also have plantains that have a high uh, vitamin A content. So we are working on that. Yeah. How, how, what other differences are there in the nutritional quality? of so Some of them are more iron and zinc. Those are the kind of things because, of course, we have projects that are dedicated for health. And so we are looking on vitamin, iron, and zinc. Uh, some of them have also higher content there. Uh, that's the most important, but of course we have uh, completely other tastes. Like I told you, the East African Highland bananas are more to make puree or, uh, or to make, uh, you know, fried plantains, mm. the mashed potato, fried potatoes, chips. Uh, yeah, by the way, you have chips uh, uh, plant from plantain. People are doing a lot of chips. It's exactly like potato. We we actually working a lot with people working. So potato, yam, cassava, we call this RTB, root tubers and banana. Uh, we are all working together because we have a lot of common. 
lot, first of all, in what you just mentioned about the post harvest, but also the way those crops are being propagated. They are all vegetatively crops, you know, they don't propagate by seeds. They could propagate, yeah. and and the breeding is very similar. The, the the virus disease and all this are very similar. So, but the only problem we have in banana, and this is interesting for you because after you're going to say why do we don't do more research on banana, we we have difficulty to convince donors to give funds to banana because for them, in their mentality is. Okay, you have Chiquita, Dol, De Monte, those huge company. They're going to pay for research. Well, they don't pay for research. They're only interested in the Cavendish and not in all the banana I'm telling you about. And this is really uh, because, affecting us very much. Because what, what, they, they, they want to standardize. They want such a standardized fruit. There's not, I, I don't think I know another f uh, crop that is so standardized than uh, banana, than Cavendish. But that's they will, if they that change one thing, they have to reinvest everything, you know, to because you, mm -hmm. you see the price of the banana. It's just amazing how low the price is in the supermarket when it's a tropical fruit like avocado or uh, uh, papaya or mango, you see. But banana, they keep it very low price because standardized the maximum, the maximum you cannot imagine. You know, we have this expression, American X-Men, going banana, because myself, I work in a banana plantation. Mm -hmm. Between the moment you plant and the moment you have the banana in your plate or you eat it, you know exactly all the difference, exactly how much time it will take and all this. It's so standardized. Now you come with a new variety, you change everything. You change. And you know, they, they are sending by containers, by boat. Of course, that's what makes the price very low. But because they send by boat, a specific temperature, it's been uh, mature artificially. If you have another variety, different temperature, crazy. You're going to have container for that variety, container for that, impossible. So standardized, standardized. They will never push. So, you know, when you see those little bananas, that's uh, something we do in our, uh, well, that in our culture, I suppose the same in U UK, even more, I think. In New Year or, or Christmas, you buy tropical fruits. It's more expensive, but you do it so that your children know a little bit. And I always buy different types of banana. Very, very expensive. And why so expensive? Because they are being exported by plane. Because the skin is so thin, they cannot be uh, charged in both. So you see all of them, they are not suited to go to be uh, export the way they are with those big containers. There are some trials, I think, uh, but uh, uh, I don't know, there's a company we are working for AgroFair that is in Holland trying to push for diversity of banana also. So it, uh, it's a private sector, it's in Holland. And we tried to put together with them and others a project to the EU, unfortunately, it was not funded, really unfortunately, because we were very close. Try right. to diversify banana. We said, oh, that's going to be great. But it didn't go through, unfortunately, because banana is seen as a crop. It's not a European crop, even though we do grow banana in Europe, you know, in, in Spain, in Greece, uh, someplace in Italy, they do grow banana, but such a little quantity. So, yeah. We have so many types of apples and pears. Why don't we have the same for banana? We could because they exist. But the problem, of course, is coming from very far. And, and, and you need to study for each type of banana a different way of uh, managing them, manipulating them. Uh, I don't think they're ready for that. Yeah. And, and uh, the other thing we didn't mention, because it, no, it doesn't depend only on varieties. I, I, I'm, of course, my background is on genetics, but we have to uh, think on managing in the field is very different. So by already we are we're having some... I used to be agronomist, but now I leave this to others. We are testing different varieties of banana together. And we know that by cultivating different varieties at the same time, 
or, or banana with other crops, you know, you have coffee with banana, or uh, allows to uh, to be stronger against disease. Again, it's much better. Mm -hmm. So several experiments of my colleagues are working on this. So we work on that front also. So it's not only by changing VIT that it will resolve everything. It's one of, and it's more the longer term. But in the meantime, we're working at the agronomy level. Even for TR4, people are looking how to cultivate to reduce the 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 the, the fungi uh, the, the the inoculum uh, in the field yeah. and by by having just a monocrop it's a disaster so. yeah and will and in in that scenario will bananas still be considered a staple though as they are in europe today well uh, as i said it depends very much on the consumer and if people really want to eat uh, banana like they were eating before uh, they will have to accept to have a different taste in, until we don't find a solution for TR4. And there's no pesticide, you know, for TR4. Uh, for me, we have to change. Yeah, we have to change type of banana. No matter whether it's improved banana, hybrid, or uh, or tr obtain through biotechnology like uh, GMO, that will be the closest to Cavendish, or we directly accept to have something completely different. But oh, resistant wow. to the disease, yeah, yeah. yeah but wow. different so, taste. Yeah. So, so, so when when do we when do we no longer see Cavendish in European shelves then? So very often people are talking about ten years. Why ten years? Because this is what happened between Gros Michel and Cavendish. It took ten years. So that's why people are saying, but you know, uh, TR4 is there since more than ten years. It's. Ooh, uh, early nineties, I think it, it came in uh, Indonesia. It was first. Race four, and then subtropical race four, and then uh, and then became tropical race four when it came in uh, Indonesia, Taiwan, Malaysia. That's where it started, and then move, and you can see. But now it's people are re talking about it because it's in Latin America, and Latin America is the biggest exporter banana. That's the biggest quantity of Cavendish is in uh, Latin America. That's the less diversity. So there, it sprays. <laughs> But you see a country, to show you how diversity is important, a country, one of the first who got affected by TR4 is Indonesia. Indonesia is also one of the center of diversity of banana. Mm. They, they were badly affected. But when you compare with the Philippines, where they also have a lot of Cavendish, Indonesia can still manage because of the diversity. They have so much type of banana, they manage to contain a little better than the others. Do you have a favorite variety? Well, yeah, I have a, it's called Pisang Mas. Some other country will call it differently. So it's one of those small banana, very sweet. Okay. That when I travel in Asia, I always take one every morning. Uh, I like it very much, yeah. I started this podcast describing the banana as a humble, staple commodity. Perhaps that's completely wrong. Perhaps we do need to pay more for this noble, tasty, self-wrapped, healthy fruit. If you're a food manufacturer, a retailer or consumer, let's get out there and embrace those banana varieties. There may be potential business opportunities and potential exciting new flavours and eating experiences to be had. Go bananas, everyone. Thanks for listening. Join us next time.